few years ago, and he said I was Maria's dad. Well, now, most of you don't even know who Maria is, except the admin, probably. And now I'm Amy's dad, and that's a, a treat to be known as your children's dad. And I'm glad to be able to be here to see Amy and to, to be able to speak today. I count it a privilege to be here. This week, we um, are going to celebrate our nation's birthday, right, uh, on July the 4th. Independence Day, 1776, right? Been a little while. Um, I remember 1976, they had a special quarter that came out that year, and I collected them for a while. So that tells you I'm a little older than most of you. Um, There's an interesting story um, in our history that comes about 20 years before that, and actually kind of comes during a time that set the stage for independence. Um, it was right during the French and Indian War in the, in the 1750s, and actually that kind of helped bring about the conflict that led to our Declaration of Independence, because the British came over here and they fought a war against the French and the Indians. That's why it's called the French and the Indian War, and and uh, then they wanted the colonies to help pay for it. Well, it depends on which side you want to take or look at, but the colonists didn't really want to help pay for it. At least they didn't want to pay for it in certain ways, like certain kind of taxes and stuff like that. But anyway, our story comes from that time earlier during the French and Indian War where there was conflict um, between the Indians and the settlers. And there's a story that happened... Uh, and probably a lot of you, if you would go back far enough, you would actually have some of this blood in your lineage, uh, the Jacob Hostetler story. I don't know how many of you know that you have Jacob Hostetler. Yeah, I, probably a lot of you do. I'd say three-fourths of you probably do. I wouldn't be surprised. But anyway, here's how the story goes. Uh, the young people had had an apple snitching that night, and uh, they were like cutting up apples to dry, and it was a kind of a frolic, and they stayed up late in the night, and, and then the Hosteller family went to bed, and they had just gotten settled down good. It was really late, and all of a sudden, uh, the dog barked, and so one of the boys opened the door. They had some grown sons there, uh, Christopher, Joseph, and Jacob Jr. So one of them opened the door, and a shot rang out, and it hit him in the leg. And so he quick shut the door, and they had a quick family meeting there. What do we do? They were surrounded by Indians. And the boys said, Dad, just let us. If we just shoot a few times, they'll, they'll go away. And they were good marksmen. But their dad didn't believe like that. He said, no, we can't. Can't do it. Jesus doesn't want us to. So they didn't shoot back. So the Indians stayed there for a while and not quite sure why they picked that, that family that night. Um, there's some speculation that maybe some of the Indians had stopped. I think this had actually happened. Some, some of the Indians had stopped in a, a few weeks before and the, the mom of the house hadn't been especially cordial and hospitable to them. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. But anyway, so the family wound up going down into the cellar, and they lit the, the Indians lit the house on fire. 
And so the house was burning, the floor starts to burn, and so they had barrels of fresh cider down in the basement, and so they take barrels of, I mean, buckets of cider and throw it against the, the um, ceiling, and they keep the ceiling from, from burning, from collapsing in, or the floor. And so pretty soon the house is pretty much burned down. The Indians think, well, you know, that's probably the end of it. And so they, they're leaving. And so the family is crawling out through a window. And suddenly they, there's a young Indian boy that had stopped in the orchard to pick some peaches. And he looked over and heard the family was crawling out of the window. And so he called for the Indians. And soon they surrounded them. And the, the mother was was killed, and the, the, the boy that had gotten shot was killed, and um, one of the boys tried to run away, and, but they eventually caught him as well. They saw where he hid. So anyway, it wound up being the dad and two of the sons. I think there was a married daughter. If you go back in your lineage, there's a daughter there, but she, wasn't, she was already gone. So, but anyway, you probably have some of all three of those, maybe, or at least one of them. Anyway, so the dad and the two sons were captured, and the, the Indians took them off, and this was, this was in Berks County, Pennsylvania, so kind of a little bit northeast of Lancaster County. And they took them over to um, western Pennsylvania, a little bit further into Indian Territory. Um, I don't know if you remember or not, but in 1763, the British, after the end of the French and Indian War, they settled the differences between the Indians and the colonists by a line that was called the, the Line of Demarcation of 1763. And so basically, any land west of the Appalachian Mountains belonged to the Indians, and anything east of the Appalachian Mountains belonged to the, the settlers. Well, that was also part of why uh, we declared our independence, too. We, we didn't really like that line very well. It was very uh, prohibitive, you might say. So anyway, they took them over more into Indian territory, like Fort Pitt, close to Pittsburgh, or uh, not too far from Harrisburg. And, um, but but when, the, when the dad and the two boys were, were leaving, the dad said something that I want you to remember. I wasn't sure what to speak about today. I, I, I don't have... Probably most of you I, I'm, will probably never see again. It's like this is just this one little opportunity. So what am I going to say? And you probably will forget it, and that's okay too. Yeah, you know, just it doesn't matter. But maybe something out of this will stick with you, even if you don't remember. Hopefully, you don't remember who said it. But he said, "Boys, don't forget the Lord's prayer. Don't forget the Lord's prayer." So I'd like to talk about the Lord's Prayer today. And I'd like to say to you, don't forget the Lord's Prayer. How many of you grew up and sometime in kind of a regular routine, your family would say the Lord's Prayer together? All right, a decent amount, yeah. Um, I'd like, to, when, when Juanita and I were youth sponsors way back, uh, when we were young, and I had hair and all of that, and... Uh, we went to Canada with the youth group, and um, there was a missionary there named Don Showalter. And one, we were teaching Bible school or something, and, and one evening he said he'd like to go on a prayer walk. And I had never been on a prayer walk before. 
But this was different. This is not like some prayer walk that I've been on. Um, but this was a unique prayer walk. He said, I, we want to walk, and he said, and we want to go through the Lord's Prayer, and we want to kind of use it as a like, a, like a backbone or a skeleton or an outline for praying. And so that's what we did. We walked, and that, that evening has had a pretty tremendous impact on me, a quiet one, but I have often, I don't do this, I can't say I do this every day or even every week, but I have often over my life walked and said the Lord's Prayer and then used it as an outline for praying. And I would like to encourage you to do this. I think it has shaped me, and I think it could shape you. After 30-some years of doing something over and again, it does shape you, right? I mean, you, you, habits shape us. So let's, uh, well, we don't even have to turn to it, but Matthew 6, you guys know the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, it's in the context of not praying so that other people can see you, uh, not praying to look spiritual or using vain repetitions. And so in some ways you think, well, if we say the Lord's Prayer over and over again, is that a vain repetition? Well, it probably can be if we're not really paying attention to what we're saying. Um, but I think it is something that Jesus taught us to pray, and so it's important. By the way, just a little blip on that. The, the boys and the dad did get separated, um, and the boys actually were adopted into uh, the Indian families, and so they became Indian. The dad never, maybe he was old enough, maybe he didn't have the opportunity because he was older, but he eventually escaped and was trying to get back. He didn't really know how to get back, but trying to get back to his people. And at one point, he was floating down the river, uh, floating past Fort Harris, would have been where Harrisburg, the capital of Pennsylvania, was floating down. Is that the Susquehanna there? Is that the... Uh, anyway, he was floating down that river, and he was so weak, he couldn't even talk. He was almost dead. Somebody saw him from the fort and yelled at him, and he just was able to raise his hand. And they sent a boat out, picked him up, took him back, nursed him back to health. He got remarried, and one day he's, he's uh, in his cabin, and this Indian guy shows up at the door. And um, he says, come in. And the Indian guy, no, he, he went out and sat on the, in the yard. And so later, the, the, when the... the when Jacob was done eating, he went out and talked to the, the young Indian boy. And the young Indian boy was able to say just a few words in German. He said, Ich bin Christian Hosteller. And here was his son. And uh, he almost didn't stay uh, English or Amish. He wanted to go back to the Indians because it was so uncomfortable and so different. But he met a young girl, and that kept him, and so that's why we still, some of us would have Christian hosteller in our lineage. Don't forget the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. So like this, doesn't necessarily have to be exactly this, but after this manner, like this. So, so let's think about this. We're taking a walk, right? You're going with me. 
Uh, we won't actually do it because, man, it's warm in Arkansas this time of year. And, uh, but you do it. Get up early in the morning or late at night. After this manner, pray ye. And what's the first thing we say? Our Father. And I think this is a significant start to any prayer. Our Father. First of all, it's not my Father. It's not just mine. But it is mine. But it's ours. But it's also a Father. And I don't know what you think about when you think of a Father. I remember when I was young, I thought, boy... When I get a chance to be a dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good dad. I'm not going to make all the same mistakes that my dad made. And maybe I haven't. I don't know. If I haven't, it's only by the grace of God. But I've made lots of mistakes. I have. I have not been a perfect father. And I would want so badly for my children to be able to look past me and see a heavenly father who perfectly loves them, perfectly loves them. doesn't mean he doesn't discipline them, but he does it perfectly. If you go to Hebrews 12, it says, you know, that earthly fathers discipline their children as they see fit or as whatever, as they please, like the way they want to for their own, you know, because, you know, none of us as dads like our children to embarrass us, so we try to teach them not to embarrass us, right? And... Um, but our Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good. And there it says that there's no discipline, no chastening that is joyous at the time, but grievous. But afterward, afterward. And I've seen that happen in my own life many times. I've gone through discipline. I've gone through chastening. And it's not fun. I've never gone through any chasing that I liked. It's not fun. But afterward, afterward. So if you're going through chasing right now, don't, don't in any way think that that means somehow that God doesn't love you as a father loves a child. Psalm 103 says, you know, For the Lord knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As the father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth those that fear him. So one of the first things I do when I start is just to say thank you that I can call you my father. So I'll say our father which art in heaven. And then I'll reflect on that phrase. Thank you. Thank you that I can call you my father. And thank you that you're a perfect father who allows me to go through discipline. Something I I recently uh, finished up going through the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews 12, it talks about chastening. And, you know, all of us, there's not a one of us here that would say that a child does not need discipline, right? How many of you have seen a child that needed some discipline? Maybe it was your younger sibling, right? Come on, Mom and Dad, you know, you're letting them off. Whatever, we've seen children that need discipline. And I think every one of us would agree a child needs discipline or else they won't turn out, right? But I don't think that about myself. But it's true for me, too. I need discipline, or I won't turn out. If my life is always just easy, then I'll never deal with the selfishness or the 
pride or whatever else goes on. We all need discipline. So if you're going through discipline right now, don't think of it as God doesn't love you. The Bible actually says he chastens or disciplines those he loves. So I know it feels weird, right? We, we want to we react by saying, what's going on? Where are you, God? He loves us, and so he lets us be disciplined. Think about the prodigal son, and think about his father. Why do you think Jesus told that story? I mean, there's probably a few reasons, and I don't have time to go into that story, but think about the father's response when the prodigal son comes home, right? Prodigal son's walking down the dusty road, his head's down, he's blown it. He has blown it. He, he took good money that his dad had worked hard for, maybe inherited, and gave it to him, and blew it, and it was gone, and he's hungry, and he's got raggedy clothes on. This is embarrassing. What does his dad do? He runs to meet him. Runs to meet him. That's the love of God for us. So don't ever think that chastening is somehow a sign that God doesn't love you. It is the opposite. It is a sign that God does love you. None of us have had perfect fathers. None of us will be perfect fathers. There will always be some way that you fail. But we can picture a perfect father. We can picture one, right? And that's who God is. Now, that's not a God. A perfect father is not a, a father that lets his children just be selfish and prideful and all that. No, he, he loves us too much for that. So he allows us to be chastened. This is our identity. We belong. We belong. We have a father. So we can say, we can start our prayer, our father. I hope that all of you can look at God like that like a father who loves you. Yeah, you didn't have a perfect father. I can vouch for that. I mean, maybe everybody except Leonard's children, I don't know, but the rest of you did not have a perfect father. And my children didn't either. But we have a perfect father who loves us. And then I'll pray, help me be a son that represents you well. Help me to be a son that responds to your discipline in the right way. Help me to keep trusting you with what you're doing with my story. Then secondly, well, if I spend this much time on all of them, we're going to be here a while. I'll, I'll have to speed up a little. Our Father which art in heaven. And then think about that. I don't. It's hard. It's hard for us to think about heaven, isn't it? Like to regularly think about what's heaven going to be like I think as we get older, we think about it more. Maybe if you lose a child, you think about it more. But it's so easy for us to live in the now, isn't it? But what's heaven going to be like? So our Father, which art in heaven, it tells us, it reminds us of where we're going someday. What's that going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? You ever feel lonely? You ever struggle with things you don't want to struggle with? You ever like to sin, pull it all? 
you ever wonder, yeah, what people think of you or worry? Can you imagine a place where for all of eternity, none of those struggles will be? We, we won't feel like we don't. I mean, loneliness is really, it's just right, not that far away for all of us, really. Can you imagine when the pool of sin will be gone? We won't, we won't struggle with that anymore. I won't struggle with being impatient. I won't struggle with being pure. I won't struggle with any of those things anymore. I won't struggle with misunderstandings. We will know as we are known. It's interesting that in this short prayer, heaven is mentioned twice. So it must be important. And what else is going on in heaven right now? What's going on? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He's interceding. That is right. He's interceding for us. So we can picture that. Isn't that a beautiful scene? Jesus interceding for us. Our Father, which art in heaven. Lord, help me to think about heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing for me right now. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. I thought it was interesting that Leonard talked about how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And here it says, how holy is thy name. It's just another way of saying, it is a name above all names. And you could spend a lot of time on this, but I have found this very helpful. Just take the names of Jesus or the names of God and use them in your prayer. So what are some names of God? Jehovah. Right. Yahweh. Yahweh. Or you could add Yira or Jira, Jehovah Jira. So that means what? Who said that? Abraham. God provided a lamb, so he called Jehovah Jira, the Lord will provide. I don't know how many times I've used just that little name of God, Jehovah Jira, the God who provides. Thank you, God, for providing. And he has. He's provided all that I need. Sometimes, you know, we couldn't rub two pennies together. And, but God provided. God took care of us. Thank you, God, for that. And thank you that you're going to keep doing that, even though today maybe it looks a little scarce. John Piper said, Don't treat me or my name as empty or futile. This is based on the third commandment, ten commandment, which says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So don't treat me as empty or my name as empty or futile or pointless or trivial or inconsequential or insignificant. Don't let your words be empty of my truth. Don't let your hearts be empty of your affections. Revere me, love me, trust me, treasure me, satisfy your heart with me. So when we hallow his name, we're not treating it lightly. We're not acting like it's not important. And it reminds us that God is also holy. If his name is holy, he is holy. And then that's what I want to be. I've already said I'm his son or daughter. Now I'm a daughter or son that wants to be like him. I want to be holy like he is holy. In Joshua 7, after the defeat of Ai, Joshua worries about their name being wiped out 
And then he wonders, God, what are you going to do about your great name? What are you going to do about your great name? So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy, set apart, sanctified. It's that idea of, uh, it's, it's a more important name than any other name. And someday at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. I like to sometimes think about people in the news. Someday President Putin, or what is he a president? I can't remember. Anyway, he's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Maybe he does to some extent. To the, I'm, I'm, anyway, but everybody's going to. Hallowed be thy name. Number four, thy kingdom come. And this is where I would first start doing any kind of intercessory prayer. Thy kingdom come. Lord, let your kingdom come in my life. Lord, let your kingdom come in Juanita's life. What does that mean? And then you can think about that. What, what does it mean? Kingdom. A king. There's a king. There's subjects. There's, there's laws. There's territory. Jesus is king. I want him to be more king in my life. I want him to be more king in Juanita's life. I want him to be more king in my children's lives. Your kingdom come. And it says, your kingdom is not meat and drink, but what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. So that's what I want. I want righteousness and peace and joy in my life. It's not about meat and drink. That doesn't matter. I don't want my life to be focused on what I'm eating. Now, I've got a bigger life than taking pictures and posting it about what my food is. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. And I want that for my family. And I want that for my church. Thy kingdom come. But not just come in me, but come. Has Jesus' kingdom come? Or is it coming? And the answer is, yes, that's right. It has come. But it's coming. Someday it's going to come where Jesus is here visibly, physically, and we're going to see him and, and people will worship him. I want that to come. Come. Come, set up your kingdom here on this earth. Or take us home, whatever your plan is. I don't know quite what that looks like. But whatever it is, reign. Enough of this. Enough of this life where people are still allowed to mock Jesus. Or to say that he's not the only way. Or to say that what he said doesn't really matter. We can kind of, no. We want to live in a world where Jesus is taken seriously. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth or in earth as it is in heaven. It's a good place to, again, submit ourselves to his will. I, I have not always understood what God has allowed to happen in my life, his sto the story. I do believe he's sovereign. I believe that very much. I know, I know that he gives us choice, too. I believe in choice just as much. But somehow God can, he is so big that he can use all of our choices and other people's choices that affect us, and that's all part of the story. And sometimes I don't understand the story, but I want to submit to it. I love what Jesus said in the garden, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. 
Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Your will be done in my life. I, I submit to your will right now. Can you submit? Are you fighting his will? Are you fighting what he wants you to do or what he's allowed? Are you submitting to it? Are you resting in it? On earth as it is in heaven. Think about when God's will, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect, Romans 12, is followed with no hesitation, no doubt, no compromise, no fear. Everybody does it. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That is going to be wonderful. And then you get to number six, give us this day our daily bread. And we could spend a lot of time on this, but it's not give us this day ten years of bread or a hundred years of bread. It's today's bread. Today. I, I, I think I have a lot to learn about radical trust. Just trusting God and not worrying about tomorrow. It's what Jesus taught us, and yet it's so hard to do. What's going to happen? Can I trust God? Can I be generous with today? Can I give and trust God for tomorrow? Give us this day our daily bread. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, first of all, that reminds us that we need forgiveness, right? And if you don't think you need forgiveness, then ask God to forgive you of blindness and pride. Because you do need forgiveness. You just can't see it. We all do. But forgive me as I forgive. Oh, I think this is so important. Young people, you're at an age where it may not be noticeable to you right now, but it will be later. The difference between people who learn to forgive and people who don't. You'll see it because people will become bitter and hard and they won't be able to cope and they won't and they'll eventually maybe go away from God or go away from the church or whatever because they can't forgive. I'm telling you, you cannot make it without forgiving other people. There's going to be lots of opportunities. If you haven't had opportunities yet, you will. I'm sure here at Hillcrest you have opportunities, right, to forgive other people. Just recently I was praying with another preacher, and it's a tough situation that we've been going through in our community. And, um, and he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I thought, that is so beautiful. It really was. I mean, you I'd have to tell you the whole story, and I can't, but, but we need to assume that people don't mean to hurt us when they do. They don't. Hurt people hurt people. That's how it works, right? So and we have to forgive them, and we don't wait until they ask for forgiveness. We forgive them before they ask because we can't live with unforgiveness. And th this... You know, when you think about the grace of God, it is so free. I mean, he just gives it to us. You just ask him for grace, and he gives it to us. But there is, there are some expectations for grace, and one of them is you've got to forgive. I would say to you older folks, if there's somebody that you haven't forgiven, forgive them. 
forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was saying that to people who were Roman soldiers who were nailing him to the cross. They probably thought they knew what they were doing. (laughs) It's not that people don't think they know what they're doing, right? But if they would have known everything, they wouldn't have done it. And that's how it is with people. If they would know everything, they wouldn't do it. But they don't know everything. They're blind. They can't see. (laughs) I think I said this one time before here, but I remember years ago with my dad, all of a sudden realizing one day, you know what? He can't see all the ways he is. He can't see it. And it was actually helpful for me. Like, I, I felt like it helped our relationship because I, you know, it's like, well, he can't really see. He's kind of blind, you know. He's, he, he doesn't realize that he's hurting somebody. And then, and then other people that I trusted, looked up to, disappointed me. And I realized they can't see either. And then it happened to me again. Oh, they can't see either. And suddenly, I don't know where I was. I had this epiphany, maybe in my early 30s. All of a sudden, I realized that every significant person in my life couldn't see except me. (laughs) I was the only one. (laughs) How could this be? How could I be the exception? It, it only lasted for just a couple seconds. All of a sudden, I realized, oh, it's got to include me, right? But I can't see it. I can't see my blind spots. I mean, there's, that's a whole other sermon. I mean, you can just ask other people or, you know, be humble, and you can start working on your blind spots, but we all have them, and everybody else around us does too, and that's why we have to forgive. We have to forgive. If I don't forgive, my heart will start growing cold. It really will. Forgiveness is costly. It is. It's costly. You, you, you really want that person to suffer. You want them to pay. But then you, you say, no, they don't have to pay. And they don't always have to know. They really don't. I don't think. I, I'd say there's maybe times when you should talk to somebody, but there's probably times that it wouldn't work to tell somebody that they really hurt you bad, but you still need to forgive them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's interesting, it says in James that God doesn't tempt us with evil, but he does allow us to be tempted. That is clear. It says that in 1 Corinthians 10, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. So, lead us not in a state. This is just a reminder, and I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to go a little quicker, but it just reminds us that there's a spiritual battle going on. And there is. There is a battle for our souls. Satan would want nothing better than for us to get hard inside, be bitter, angry at other people, and eventually blame it on God and walk into a Christless eternity. That's what he would want. There is a battle going on. But there is a way of escape. And we are on the winning side. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't ever let yourself be tempted to think, I can't overcome. Yes, you can. 
Jesus said, if you pluck your eye out, you cut your arm off. And I'm not saying you have to do that because there's stuff you can do before you get to that point that will get you to a place where you're living in victory, if you're willing to. Lead us not in temptation. There is a battle. There are temptations. There are struggles. There are real struggles. Jesus knows what that's like. It says that he, he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's not about us. And that's what God is trying to teach us all through our lives that it's not about us. We're born very self-absorbed. Wah! Feed me, you know, change me, whatever. It, it, it's not about us and life and God. God is teaching us that. The glory is to him. It's his kingdom. It's his power. It's not my power. I, I can't do it in my own strength. And that's what he wants me to learn too, right? He wants you to learn that too. You can't do it in your own strength. It's not about me. It's about him. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own. You ever skip devotions? You don't have to raise your hand. Probably all have. What does that say if, if I skip devotions? What does it say if I don't spend time with God? I can do this on my own. That's a silly thing to say to God, right? And God has a way of teaching us, getting us to a place where it's like, no, I need to spend time with God. And thank God that it's like that. And if it's not like that, ask him to help you see better. And his kingdom and his power and his glory is forever. Forever. It's an everlasting covenant, it says in Hebrews 13 in that great benediction. An everlasting covenant. There was an old covenant Hebrews talks about, but now we're living in this everlasting covenant. And his kingdom will last forever. It's not going to someday fall apart. His power will last forever and the glory will last forever and ever. So if I never see you again, don't forget the Lord's Prayer. 